You're listening to Into the Fire, a series about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they persevered in their faith despite great adversity. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Uh, we are we're in a we're in a series that we have titled we have titled into the fire into the fire and so uh, uh, what we've really been talking about is the fact of the matter that in this world you are going to be tried in this world you are going to be be tested. Think about what happened in our city this past week. You know what I mean? No, no water. You really don't actually realize how much you use water until you don't have any. Am I right? I mean, you can't flush your toilet if you don't have any water. You can't take a shower if you don't have any water. You can't wash your hands. Uh, That's probably why I noticed a lot of people not shaking hands this morning and instead doing the fist bump. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Because it was just a struggle. It really was. Uh, There were even restaurants this past week who weren't able to be open. Uh, It was a struggle this past week. How many of you had a struggle this past week? And I know some people are like, well, I didn't struggle. McDonald's was open. Wendy's was open. This place was open. That place was open. Well, if that's you, let me give you something to think about. How do you think those people who were preparing your food washed your, their hands if they didn't have any water? How do, you, how do you think they cleaned the utensils they were using to, to cook if they didn't have water? Some of y'all are like, ooh, I ain't think about that. You're getting sick to your stomach. Yeah, well, we do have restrooms at the church now. They're operational, so if you're getting sick, you can go over there. Hey, but anyway, I mean, it really was, it really was a struggle. And so in spite of all of that, in spite of dealing with that difficult situation, there are other people in this room who you've got other stuff happening in your life, other diff- difficult circumstances, other difficult situations. Life really is hard. Life is difficult. And so how do we respond? How will you respond when life is hard? How will I respond when life is hard? How will we respond when we really feel like we're in the fire? And so in this series, we're talking about a guy named Daniel. We're talking about Shadrach. We're talking about Meshach. We're talking about a guy named Abednego. We're talking about how they responded when life got hard for them. We're talking about how they really responded in God-honoring ways. And we're looking at the way they responded so that hopefully we'll learn to respond the same way. We want to honor God. And the way we respond when life gets hard. And so last week we talked about how they they stood out in the midst of a very secular world, in the midst of a very evil society and sinful society, they stood out. And this week, if I had to give the message a title, it would be this, stand up, stand up. See, I want to talk to you about how we stand up for what is right. Because the reality is, it doesn't matter who you are, someone you love at some point is going to make some unwise decisions. And then God is going to prompt you to stand up for what is right, to help guide them back onto the right path. And and I know I know that there really are there really are a lot of people who like to confront other people. You know what I mean? There are some people who think, man, I'm real good at confronting others. I like to do that. It's like a hobby for them. How many of y'all know somebody who just really likes to be confrontational? You know, don't point at them if they're in the room. They might come and confront you after church, you know, and that wouldn't be good. But I mean there's some people who really are like that. And then there are other people on the other hand who are just more passive. They're they're non-confrontational 
confrontational. You know, they, they never really want to address any issue that needs to be addressed. How many of y'all know some people who are really, who are kind of like that, just naturally non-confrontational? Well, again, there are these two confrontational extremes. You know what I mean? There's one that says, well, it's none of my business. I'm just going to live my life and let them live their life. Who am I to judge? Uh, uh, and then you see, the problem, though, is when we're too non-confrontational, we don't help things move forward. We really don't. But on the other hand, there are some people who are just, uh, you know, they really like confrontation again. Uh, and they'll confront someone in a very unloving, in a very unloving uh, uh, way. In fact, uh, do you know what a drive-by shooting is? Everybody, anybody know, everybody know what a drive-by shooting is? Man, the rapper Coolio back in the day said, you know what I mean? He said, I'm trying to find a place where I can live my life and maybe eat my steak with some beans and rice. Trying to find a place where my kids can play outside without living in fear of a drive-by. Anybody remember that song? Yeah, back in the day, man. Uh, well, it's crazy. It's crazy that really, it's crazy that really we live in a time in which you have to kind of worry uh, about that. But, but again, there are some Christians who they may not do a physical, uh, a physical drive-by shooting, but you know what they'll do? They'll do a drive-by confrontation. You know what I mean? They don't have the context, all the context to an issue. They'll grab a hold of one thing and they'll decide, you know what? I'm just going to tell everybody how I'm right and how they are wrong. They'll get on Facebook and they'll blast people. They'll start typing and they'll use that keyboard as like a gun. It's like drive-by confrontational. Again, they feel like it's their God-given right to confront someone about something that they are doing that it is this wrong. And, and the problem is, the problem is when you're too non-confrontational and then when you're too confrontational, the problem for both of those is, again, you don't help things move forward. You don't. But there is going to come a time in your life where God is going to prompt you to go to someone that you love and, and, and confront them about something that is wrong. And so how do we properly do that? How do we do that in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons? See, see maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a parent and you've got some kids who are making some unwise choices. They're making some unwise choices. And so you don't want to, you don't want to step in and push them away, but, but you do want to step in somehow and help bring them closer to the things of God. Or, or maybe you got a family member, maybe you got a family member who's just really making some, some, some stupid choices with, with their money. And you realize that if they don't stop, that it's going to be something that really hurts them in the, in the long run. And so God may be calling you to go to them and say, hey, look, because I love you, I want you to know there's a better way to handle your finances. Or, or maybe you've got a family member who's just a pain. Anybody, anybody got a family member who's just a pain? Every family has that person. You say, well, my family doesn't. Well, you're delusional, and you're probably the person that everybody else in your family would say is that person. You know what I mean? But there are some people in your family who every time they get together, they just want to talk bad about this family member, bad about that family member. And so maybe God is prompt you to step up and say, hey, you know what? In this family, we're not going to do that because we want to encourage people to be who it is that God wants them to be. Or maybe you've got a friend who's just making terrible choices, choices that are hurting them, choices that are hurting their friends, choices that are hurting their family, choices that are hurting all the people around them. And God says, you need to step up and say something. Well, that's what we're going to look at today. 
That's what we're going to look at today. Last week we were in Daniel chapter 1, and if you got your Bibles, I encourage you to go back to the book of Daniel. Uh, but we're going to skip a few chapters. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. And as you're turning there, if you're turning there, I want to remind you of a character from Daniel chapter 1, and that is the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He is the Babylonian king, and I want to remind you again that this guy is evil. This guy, he really was, he was trouble. This guy had problems. This guy had issues. It's really impossible for me to communicate to you exactly how evil this, this fellow was and how oppressive to other people he was. But again, I just want you to know that this guy was terribly evil. And what's interesting is he actually saw God work. This evil man actually saw God move. He actually saw God work in such a way that he was actually, actually attracted to the things of God just for a little while. Just like some people in this room. Maybe there was a time in your life where God got your attention. And you were, you were attracted to the things of God. You said, you know what? I'm going to start going to church more. I'm going to start doing this more. But what happened for King Nebuchadnezzar is God got his attention and then his pride kicked in. And he said, you know what? Forget about the things of God. I'm going to do my own thing. See, maybe, maybe you were there. Maybe you know exactly what that feels like. Maybe you know what that feels like today. And so it happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so God continued to draw him to himself. And so God gave him a dream. And it was such a crazy dream that it really freaked him out. And, and he, couldn't, he couldn't even sleep. I want you to see it in Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse, in verse 4. The Bible says this. this is the wor- these are the words of King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I... Nebuchadnezzar was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. Prosperity, I'm sorry. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So he has this crazy dream, this dream that terrifies him. Have you ever had a dream like that that just kind of terrifies you where you can't go back to sleep? A couple people have had that, just me. Okay, pray for me. Several of us, I think, have had that. But I really was trying to do some research this past week on on our dreams and kind of trying to understand what some of our dreams mean. And so uh, there are several articles out there that you can read. And some scientists have put together some, some things about dreams that most of us have uh, that are, you know, they're, they're, they might be different in a little way, but they're, they're similar in a lot of ways. And what they say is some of these dreams actually symbolize and mean uh, certain things. Like how many of y'all have ever had a dream that you were falling, that you were falling? You know what I mean? That's the worst. You know, usually when I was having it, it was when I was in school, you know what I mean? I, I kind of prop my, shoulder, my elbow up and then, oh! You know what I'm saying? And so you like try to play it off like, oh, achoo. you know what I mean? You try to fake sneeze or something like that, you know? Well, that dream, that type of dream actually happens early in your sleep cycle. You know what I mean? But what that dream means, what scientists say that dream means is that there's probably something in your life that you really can't, you really can't control and it's got you concerned. What about this? How many of y'all have ever had a dream that you forgot something? You forgot about something important. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe you're a student and you forgot about a test or something like that. You have this dream. Well, what people have actually said is that a dream like that actually, actually probably means that you are about to face something in life or you are facing something in life that you don't feel like you're adequately prepared for. What about this? How many of y'all have ever had a dream that you, you, know, you needed to go to the restroom 
Anybody? Okay, what that dream means is it's not a dream. You really have to go. You better get up and go. It's real, okay? You gotta go. You gotta go. Well, uh, seriously, sometimes our dreams, they, they mess us up. They really do. And so what happens to King Nebi, he has this dream and it bothers him. I want you to, I want you to see this. Watch. He says this in verse 6. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. And so finally, Daniel, Daniel's coming in. He calls for Daniel. Check this out. Verse 8. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So King Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel his, his dream, and it's a dream about a big tree. It's a dream about a big tree, and it's a dream about a voice from heaven that looks at that tree and says, hey, cut that tree down. And so the king is like, Daniel, I want you to know what this, I want you to tell me what this dream means. It's, it's really bothering me. I want you to tell me. And so Daniel's probably a little hesitant at first to tell him this dream, but he keeps pressing the issue. King Nebuchadnezzar keeps pressing the issue. And so finally, Daniel tells him the dream. And look at verse 19. At the end of verse 19, here's what, here's what the Bible says. It says, Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events that foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. In other words, Daniel is actually showing this king that he really cares for him, that he genuinely cares for him. He says, I wish this wasn't true of you. I wish this was true of, of your enemies. Look what he says. That tree, verse 22, that tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. And then in verse 25, Daniel translates this dream. Check it out. He says, you will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Daniel is like, man, life's fixing to get bad for you. Life's fixing to get bad for you. You're actually going to be driven from people. You're going to be walking around in the grass on all fours, eating grass. You're going to be out there with the wild animals. You're going to be crazy, like a crazy man. He says this, seven periods of time, which is seven years. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules, when heaven rules. So Daniel could have stopped there. He could have stopped there because what did the king ask Daniel to do? Interpret the dream, right? And so Daniel does that. Daniel interprets the dream and he could have walked away and said, hey, I did what you asked me to do. But Daniel has the courage to do something that really could have cost him his life. He stood up to the king and Daniel didn't stand up to the king because he was prideful or because he was arrogant. He didn't stand up to the king because he just wanted to be the one that corrected the king. He stood up to the king because he loved the king. He stood up to the king because he wanted the king to understand the goodness of God. Look what Daniel says in verse 27. The Bible says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. In other words, in other words what he is saying is, King I care about you. I care about you, King. I want what's best for you. And he says this, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. What? What do he say? 
Y'all still with me, right? Stop sinning and do what is right. Stop sinning and do what is right. See, anytime you're going to bring loving confrontation to somebody, that's actually what you're doing, right? Stop doing wrong and what? Start doing right. Stop doing wrong and stop doing right. Start, start, start doing wrong and stop. Oh, I'm sorry. Stop doing wrong. See, that'd be bad. My mind's all messed up. Yeah, don't do wrong, right? Do right. That's what we're trying to say here. And so here's the deal. When somebody in your life, again, is messing up, that's what you're, that's what you're doing. Son, I don't want you making these terrible choices. Stop doing wrong. Do what is right. Maybe you're having uh, some trouble in your marriage. You've got to tell the other person, I love you. I want a great marriage. I want what's best for us. I want what God wants for us, but you can't continue to disrespect me. Stop doing wrong and start doing what's right. Stop being mean and start being nice. Do what is right. Daniel says, stop sinning and do what is right. And he goes on to say this, break from your wicked past. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. He's basically saying, stop oppressing people. Stop being mean to people. God has given you a position and you need to do a better job influencing the people that you serve. Be merciful to the poor. And he says this, perhaps then, perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Daniel looks at a king and he says, please, please do what's right because I want what God wants for you. I want you to be blessed, O oh king. Please do the right thing. Now again, I don't know when it will be. I don't know the circumstances that will surround the situation, but if you are a follower of Christ, living in Christian community, living in Christian community where you are doing life with other people, where you are actually encouraging one another, supporting one another, praying for one another, if that's where you live, there will come a time when God will ask you to stand up for, to stand up for what's right and to stand up to someone else, someone who's making the wrong decisions so that you can help them get back on the right path. There will be times again when God will call others even to stand up to you to ask you, to help you get back on the right path. And so whenever you and I are going to confront someone, we really have to be very careful. We really have to be very careful in how we do it. The New Testament tells us to do exactly what Daniel did. I want you to see this in Galatians chapter 6. The apostle Paul is talking. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, here's what the Bible says. Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, everybody say gently. And now everybody say humbly. Gently and humbly. Gently and humbly. Not arrogantly and harshly. Gently and humbly. Help that person back onto the right Path. Paul says, go to that person because you say, hey, I'm here because I love you. I'm a Christian brother. I'm a Christian sister. I want to come to you gently and humbly. Humbly, I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. I'm no better than you. I'm here to help you because I want you to get back on the right path 
path because I see that you're going down a path that's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt others. I care about you. I want you back on the right path. And then Paul says something interesting. He says this, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. See, when you confront somebody, you got to be very careful. You need to be very careful and you need to be very prayerful. And so for the rest of the time that we have together, I want to point out two prayers, two prayers that you and I need to understand and you and I need to pray when we're actually going to have any kind of spiritual confrontation with someone. If you're keeping notes, you want to write them down. The first prayer that I want you to see that you and I need to pray when we're going to confront somebody is this, God, help us to confront with the goal of restoration. God, help us to confront with the goal of restoration. Why do we confront people? Why? Why do we confront them? Because we want to help somebody that we love get back on the right path. We don't confront people because we're right and they're wrong, right? We don't do that. We confront people. The only reason why we confront people is because we love them and we want them to be right with God. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. Galatians 6, again, that verse says, gently and humbly, gently and humbly, help that person back on the right path. I want you to know that your approach matters. The way you approach somebody when you're confronting them about something, it matters. How many of y'all know that? You know that. I mean, some people want to hang up signs and say, turn or burn. You know what I mean? Get right or get left. You're going to hell. I've never, never helped anybody by saying something stupid like that. Ever. Ever. I haven't. But I will tell you, I will tell you that the first person that I led to Jesus is because he knew I cared about him. It is. He knew that I wasn't trying to be judgmental. And it happened on a Friday night the most busy time of Mazio's Pizza. That's where I worked. That's where he worked. The most busy time of the night. We stopped and he let me pray with him so that he could accept Jesus Christ as his personal savior. Your approach matters. When you confront someone, you have to do it gently and humbly. Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar and he's like, oh, king, I wish this wasn't true for you because I care. I wish this wasn't true for you. I wish this was true for your enemies because I care for you and I love you. Please listen to my advice, King. Stop sinning and do what is right. King, I want you back on the right path. So the first prayer we need to pray is God help me to confront with the goal of restoration. And the second prayer you and I need to pray before we confront somebody is we need to say, hey, God, help me to confront with caution. Help me to confront with caution. Look at, six, look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 again. Paul says this, you who are godly, you who are godly should gently and humbly help the person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, let me point out just a few things from that verse real quick. The first thing I want you to see is Paul says, you who are godly, you who are godly. See, here's the deal. Everybody in this room, we have struggles. We have issues. We have problems. We, we really do. And, and I, 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 we're not perfect. I, I, in fact, I remember, I remember serving at a church one time and I was preaching and there were some people there who didn't like me. And so I was preaching and from the pulpit, I said, I'm not perfect. 
I said that, I'm not perfect. And when I said that, this person that was in the congregation, they, they yelled out, amen, you know what I mean? And I, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I've been preaching God's word for years and you've never said amen. Like you agree with anything I'm preaching from God's word, but the one thing you're gonna agree with me about is that I'm not perfect. So I stopped preaching, walked down there, drop kicked him in the mouth and said, see, he knows I ain't perfect. I'm just kidding, I thought about it though, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, but I mean, I'm not perfect. None of us in this room, none of us really are perfect. You shouldn't do that, okay? Uh, but none of us are perfect. And here's what I want you to realize, though. It's very important that if you're going to approach someone about their problem with alcohol, that you don't do it with a beer in your hand. It's very important. If you're going to approach someone and confront them about the language that they're using, it's very important that you know you're someone who's actually watching your language. Am I right? See, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, Jesus said this before you confront someone. He said, first, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. If we're going to try to get people to be different, guess what? We need to be different. If we're going to try to help people get back on the right path, you know what that means about you? And me, we've got to be on the right path ourselves. So Paul says, gently and humbly help them get back on the right path. And he says, be careful. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. See, the thing is, when you're confronting someone, when you do that, you become, you become very vulnerable to pride. You do. Like, yeah. I'm the person who set them right. I say what I want to say. They should be thanking God I'm in their life. And really, there are people who say that type of thing. That is sinful. We don't need to do that. We need to be very careful because here's the reality. If you are confronting someone, listen to me. If you're confronting somebody about a specific issue in their life, it may very well be that God has asked you to do that or it could be because you're trying to cover up a weakness in your own heart. I've, I've been in ministry since the year 2000, not 2000 years. Feels like it. No, I'm just kidding. 17 years almost. And I have seen this type of thing all too often. I remember speaking with a man years ago who came to me and wanted to tell me how bad his wife was, how, how terrible of a wife she was, and how great of a husband he was. I, I remember him, him doing that. And then, I promise, man, it's a true story. I went to Taco Bell one day to get me some tacos, some soft tacos. And I had some errands that I needed to run. So actually, after I got my tacos, I'd gone through the drive-thru, and I pulled up in a parking lot here in Vicksburg, and I was going to eat my tacos there because I wanted to put mild sauce on the tacos and not on me. You know what I'm talking about? So, so, so I'm, I'm eating my tacos, and this guy that I knew that was talking about how bad his wife was, he pulls up. And I'm fixing to honk my horn at him and wave at him because, hey, man, I know him. And as I'm fixing to do that, I see another car pull up beside him, and this woman gets out. This woman who's not his wife. And she gets in the car with him and they start making out. That's a true story. I thought, here this man is talking about how terrible his wife is. 
when from what I see, he's the one who's got the issue. He was picking on somebody else's speck when he needed to get that log out of his own eye. We got to be careful. That's why the Bible says gently and humbly. Gently and humbly. You see, if I ever bring loving correction to you, I'm not higher than you are. I'm not. I'm not any better than you are. If you ever bring loving correction to me, you're not higher than I am. Listen to me. All of us are lower than God. All of us are lower than God. And when we realize that we're lower than God and we're trying to lift each other to the things of God, that's when we'll do things accurately. That's when we'll do things the right way for the right reasons and we'll see the right results. See, Christians, Christians have a reputation of being known for what they're against. I hate that. I hate that. I want us to be known for what we are for. And we should be known for being for God. We should be known for being for other people and wanting to see others get closer to God. It's not even about confronting other people. It's about helping people step closer to Jesus Christ. That's what it's actually about. That's what we're called to do, and that's what Daniel does. That's exactly what he does. See, I'm wrapping up. I'm almost done. But I want you to see this. This evil king had problems. This person, man, he had issues. He was so mean. He had actually taken Daniel away from his family, forced him to come to a foreign land, made him a eunuch. The king changed Daniel's name, tried to hinder Daniel from drawing closer to God. The king, this king who made Daniel's life so hard and so tough, Daniel looks at him in spite of all that. And he says, king, I care about you. I care. I wish this dream didn't apply to you. I wish this dream applied to your enemies, but it doesn't. It applies to you. And here's what this dream means. I humbly tell you, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Because if you do, maybe you'll continue to prosper. Maybe God will continue to bless you. And if you know the story, you know how the king responds. If you don't, you might be thinking, well, maybe he does respond properly. Maybe he says, you know what, Daniel, you're right, I'm wrong. I repent, please forgive me. Let's sing some songs to God and let's pray. But that doesn't happen. He doesn't do that. You know what the king does? He continues to rebel. He does. See, I wish that I could tell you that every time you confront someone the right way, humbly and gently, I wish that I could tell you that every time you confront someone the right way, that they were going to make the right decision and do the right thing. It's not going to happen. See, you're not responsible for the way they respond. If you approach them the right way, you're not responsible for how they respond. You're responsible for being obedient. Let God 
take care of the results. See, King Nebuchadnezzar hears this. He hears this. Do the right thing. He lovingly confronted, Daniel lovingly confronted him, but it didn't work. And for seven years, for seven horrible years, he crawled around in the grass like a cow. But by the grace of God, after seven years, we read in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. Watch this. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. After seven years, the king repents of his sin and turns to God, and God is glorified. Why? Because one person had the courage to stand up to someone who was doing wrong, someone who very literally could have taken his life. See, sometimes when you and I confront people, it's going to take courage, and it can be messy, and it can be ugly, but we trust God. We trust God, trusting that as we connect to God and as God moves and works through us, and we gently and humbly try to help people get back on the right path, not because we're right and they're wrong, not because of that, but because our desire really is to help people be in a right relationship with God. We trust that God calls his people to do exactly what he did to King Nebuchadnezzar, and that is worship and honor the one who lives forever. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life, but I wonder today if there's somebody here who God for a long time has been trying to get your attention. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar, trying to get your attention. But every time you start to step towards the things of God, you step away and say, you know what, forget that. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to live my life the way that I want to. If that's you, but today you know that you need to surrender to him. Don't, don't go through the pain of seven years. You know you need to get right. You know to, you need to get saved today. If you know that's what you want to do today, I'm going to ask it right where you are that you lift your hand because I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. You need to be saved today. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I really do love you, and I want to help you get back on the right path. So if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask that you pray right where you are. Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Come into my heart today. Mold me and make me into the person that you want me to be. I confess you as Lord. I accept your payment. Father, you are God, and I am not. Thank you for saving me. Help me live for you all the days of my life. Help me be different because that's what you've called me to do. Father, I also want to pray for each and every person in this room. Father, that you would help us when we have 
times in our life that need to be addressed, where we actually need to go to someone we love and confront them. Father, I pray that you would help us to always go with the goal of restoration and that we would go with caution. Father, help us to encourage one another to be who it is that you've called us to be. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.